morning, church. Welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Michael. And we've been going through a series that's called Passover uh, slash Passion. And just have made an observation that as we, as we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, as the resurrection of Jesus being the central feature of our faith, um, that we observed that God wanted that event to take place at the same time as an ancient Jewish festival, an ancient Jewish holiday called Passover. And so if God wanted those two things to happen at the same time, what can we learn about Jesus by looking at what God set up in the celebration of Passover? That's the, the, the basics of this series and kind of what we've wanted to explore together. And I'd, I'd like to reveal a couple more cards on the table. We're actually, this series is taking us up to our celebration of our, our big celebration of Jesus' resurrection. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection every Sunday, but we also do it in a little bit of a, a bigger way on a holiday that we call Easter. So this is our, our, our preparation up to Easter, and there are actually, we're going to begin to see them today, some themes that resonate from communion. And so this, this series... I'm trying really hard not to be the guy from that meme who's like the conspiracy theory guy, and he's like, there's a thread that goes here and there and over there, there, there. I'm trying not to be that guy, but there's a thread that goes from here to there to there to there to there, and, and I want you to see it because it matters. It's not, it's not just like, and I know the danger is you get a Bible nerd up on a platform, you give him a microphone, and you let him go for 40 minutes. Like, like I know that I could give you a lot of education. I could teach you some things. But, but I don't just want to give you information. I want to help you to see your part in God's story, which is why our, our, our setup to this series was, who are we? Are we defined by the salvation that God has, has uh, set up for us? Um, and so that's, that's, that's what we're doing here together. Um, before we go any further, though, I'd invite you to pray together with me. It's our habit to pray together and start off the week with the disciples' prayer. The words are on the screen if you'd like to pray along uh, with us out loud. However, I'd at least invite you to bow your hearts. And let's begin this week, a brand new week, together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to begin together this morning in Exodus chapter 12, so I'd invite you to turn there, Exodus chapter 12, and if you're using the blue Bibles here, um, there it's on page 67 in the blue Bibles. Um, and so we're taking a closer look at this Jewish festival called Passover. And Passover is a holiday that God gave to the Jewish people, to the Israelites, to help them to remember the work that God had done of delivering them from out of slavery. So they were a people, a family that was chosen by God. They had a special relationship with God. 
and, and God uh, provided for them a way to eat in the middle of a famine by moving them to a country that had food, which is a beautiful story, and I don't have time to tell it. Um, but uh, the country that they moved into, the more God blessed this family, the more that country oppressed and uh, enslaved and even murdered God's chosen family, God's chosen people. And so God now has heard their cries, and he's now raising up a deliverer, and he's waged war against all the gods of Egypt, all the gods of this country uh, that has oppressed the people. He's waged war against them, and now he's beginning to, he's going to do one last, one last battle where he's going to kill the firstborn of all, of, bless you, <clears throat> where he's going to kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And we talked about the significance of the firstborn. It's not just your birth order. It's also a position of authority. And we saw how Jesus is the firstborn, that he alone has the authority to receive the inheritance of creation. And we talked last week about how this, 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 um, this holiday centers around a meal. And the center of the meal is a lamb, a lamb without blemish. That's, that's brought into the house for inspection for a couple of days, and then we all kill it, and today we get to eat it. So, so that's where we're going we're gonna to begin today in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 7. All right? Are we ready? Cool. Then they shall take, so, the, uh, well, I'll ju- let me jump up a verse. Uh, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So we introduce lambs, now they're dead. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two torp- doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's, Yahweh's, Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So that's our, uh, our primary text for uh, the morning. We'll, we'll visit a couple others along the way. Um, but we've got here a description of, of the meal, of what, of what we're supposed to do. Um, I think it's, it's fascinating that as God wants us to remember something, he invites us to eat with him. I think that's significant. Um, and so he says, all right, you've got a lamb. The lamb is going to die. Um, and then you're going to take some of the blood of the lamb and you're going to smear it on the, the sides of your door, on the doorposts, on the sides, and on the lintel. The lintel is the board that goes across the top. Um, and so the outside of your door, your front door, is going to be covered with blood on three sides. And that's, and that's where you're going to eat this meal. You're going to roast it. He's real specific. You're not going to eat it raw and you're not going to boil it. You're going to roast it. You're going to roast the whole thing together. It's going to be a whole sacrifice. And you're not going to have any leftovers. Whatever's left over, you're not going to keep for the morning. They're not going to be there to eat it the next day. You're not going to keep it for the morning. 
um, but you're going to burn whatever is left over. It's all going to be, the whole thing is going to be consumed one way or the other. And you're supposed to eat it. Did you notice what he said? You're supposed to eat this meal with your sandals on and your belt on and your staff in your hand. Now, how strange would it be for us to go to a meal and everybody to come? Now, let's, let's say hypothetically this was like a morning like this morning. We were going to have like a Christmas dinner, all right? And everybody comes into the house. One, you've you know, put blood on the door, which is odd enough for us. But you go into the house and you're going to eat Christmas dinner, but everybody keeps their coat on. And, and you eat with your key, your car keys in your left hand, and you're eating with your right hand. And you've got your boots on, and your shoes. Like, you're, like does that sound like we're going to sit and enjoy some time together? This is a feast that's takeout. <laughs> this, is, this is a drive-through meal. Don't, don't sit down and dwell over it. You're going to eat this quickly. Why? Because the thing that I'm getting ready to do is going to happen so fast... You're not even going to have time to let your bread rise before you bake it. You're going to eat this lamb with unleavened bread. We'll talk more about that if the Lord permits next week. Um, and, and so you're going to eat this really, really quick because I'm going to deliver. It's going to come so quickly that you're not going to have time to get dressed. So you're, you're, you're eating as though you're in the upstairs of a firehouse. You're ready for a fire at any time. You're ready to go. That is, and, and again, this is, God is giving them these instructions in chapter 12, in the beginning of chapter 12. He says, this is how you're going to eat it. And it's not till the end of chapter 12 that he actually does the thing. So he's telling them the night before, this is how you're supposed to eat this. It's going to make sense when it happens. It hasn't happened yet. You're, you don't know that Pharaoh's going to let you. All of your history tells you that Pharaoh's not going to let you go, but I'm telling you he's going to let you go, so you need to be ready to leave, have the car running, Okay. So that is, that's the meal, and, and perhaps if you're a, a writer or, or you like to help things stand out on the page, I would put a box around or highlight the second half of verse 11. It is the Lord's Passover. This is Yahweh's meal. So lest the Israelites get in their head like this is our holiday, and we get to make the rules, and we get to make up the traditions, and we get to express it the way that we want to, God is very clear, this is mine you don't get to meddle with this. I'm giving you very explicit instructions. I don't care if you like your lamb boiled, you're going to roast it. This is my meal. Now, if you've been with us from uh, our series going through uh, Who Are We? And we've talked about the plagues. And, and you're like, Mike, you did a, I understand what you were doing. You made a big deal about how the, each of the plagues was an attack against an Egyptian god. And if you weren't convinced, like, here's the verse that clues you in that this is what he was doing. He says, I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. Central to what God is doing here is he wants to reveal his character. He wants to let people know who he is. In fact, four times he says, um, he says, I am Yahweh and throughout this, this whole thing. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 6, in Exodus chapter 7, he says it twice. So he's like, I want you guys to understand the point of what I'm doing is I'm trying to communicate who I am because Pharaoh's acting like he don't know me and I made him. Okay? So that's the point. Now, there's a couple of things about this that may, well, there's probably more than a couple, but there's a couple of things that I'm going to talk about that make us a little bit uncomfortable. The first is we're talking about a blood sacrifice. That's something that's a little bit unusual to us. If we're not familiar with church, it's a little bit unsettling. Why do we got to kill something? And so we're going to talk about that. 
Um, the second thing is uh, a distinction. So blood sacrifice and a distinction. There's something specific that God's doing here that I want us to look at. So those are the two things that we're going to talk about next, okay? We tracking? Okay, blood sacrifice. This is, a, um, this is a picture that's common in the Bible. This is one of those threads that you cannot get away from. Oh, so this is, uh, Exodus is happening in 1500 BC. Um, lamb, sacrifice, sorry. Okay, blood. <clears throat> Blood sacrifice is a thing that is, is a theme throughout Scripture. I don't know how you can read the Bible and not come and not have to deal with this thing, and and so it's it, and it's not just a minor theme. Like it's from the very very beginning, God is talking about something has to die in order to cover for sin. Okay, so in Genesis chapter three, we have the story of the very first people, Adam and Eve, when they mutinied against God. They said, "I'm going to be God for myself." They tried to cover themselves up, cover their nakedness, cover their shame with some fig leaves. And God said, uh, nope, that's not going to work. When you sin, something must die. And he clothes them with animal skins. So the very first time an animal is killed for sin, God does it with his own hands. And he covers Adam and Eve. Now, a couple of generations later, we're going to deal with Noah and Noah lived at a time where, uh, the, 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 um, where sin was so pervasive in humanity, the, the biggest expression that, that, that God can communicate is they were violent to one another. Like their violence was pervasive and every, every thought of their heart was towards spilling each other's blood. Like they wanted to kill each other. And so that was when God said, this is not okay. I can't allow this to continue. I'm going to wash everything clean. And that's the story of the flood. And after the flood... Um, he gives some very explicit instructions. He says, you guys, um, you, every, every animal now is going to be food for you. I don't know what it was before, but after the flood, we can eat animals. Hallelujah? Yeah, all right, amen. <clears throat> we can eat animals now, but he says you cannot eat the animal that has its life in it. And then he clarifies, life meaning blood. There's, there's a connection, and I... I don't know if it's metaphysical, I don't know if it's spiritual, I don't know if it's chemical. There's something about the blood that is connected to our life in a special way. And God says we're going to honor that in the food that we eat, and we're going to honor that in humanity. For anyone who spills the blood of another man, his blood I will require of him. Because man is created in the image of God. Okay? So, so blood's super important. All right. You good? I, I'm, all right. I'm trying not to be the Bible nerd, but I needed you to see it. Okay, if you're skeptical about the Bible, though, you might be like, okay, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really understand, um, like, I don't really believe, like, Genesis is a thing, or that it's accurate, and so if you're skeptical about that, let me, let me give you a different kind of logical proposition. It goes like this, uh, and this is a, a, logic, a logical problem, and so I'm just going to show you the parts, and then I'll show you the equation. So if A minus B, that's one statement, and if B equals C, then we can say that A minus C, right? Do we see that as a logical proposition? Okay, so here's, here's the math. Sin separates us from God, A minus B. Sin separates us from God. God is life, B equals C. God is the source of life. None of us comes to the world except by his will, um, he's the sustainer and the creator of life, and so God is life. 
So, that's B equals C. So then, sin separates us from life. Right? Okay? A minus C. Cool. Lots of words. Let me give you two. Sin equals death. So logically, that's how all this works out. And God says that if sin equals death, something must die in order for me to preserve life. So in this instance of the Passover, he's saying, you guys are going to kill a lamb. Something's going to die. And you're going to use that blood as a sign for you and your family that something has died in this house. And so when death comes through the city, something has already died. I don't need to take anything here. Okay? So we can, we can get hung up on, like, God's super mean. Why is he killing things and stuff like that? God doesn't have to tell us anything. God can send his angel of death through a country and not give any warning at all. But his mercy is that he's saying ahead of time, look, I'm going to send an angel of death and he's going to kill the firstborn. He is coming on this night. You should be ready. Now we get to choose what we do with that information. We can, be, we can fight with God about how dare you kill the firstborn. Like, isn't it, that's really mean. I don't think I like that you're going to do that. He's like, that's what I'm going to do. And I told you ahead of time. So what are you going to do with that information? Okay? So first... Uh, I, I, I jumped ahead a little bit, but let me just say, do we agree with God that our sin leads to death? Do we agree with God that our sin leads to death? Because I'm real, like, I got a collared shirt on today. I took a shower recently. I did baptisms yesterday, so I'm feeling a little bit holy right now. <clears throat> and I can convince myself that my sin does not lead to death. I'm okay with the idea that sin leads to death, but the curses in my heart towards my brother, but my, my frustration driving down the road, but just that, that little bit of extra that I kept for myself that no one's going to notice, I can convince myself that my sin does not lead to death. Do we agree with God that our sin leads to death? So, that's blood sacrifice. Sin equals death, and so there's something that can die in our place so that we can have life. Now, there's a distinction. Again, God's, God's executing judgments on uh, the gods of Egypt. He's saying, you guys worship a god of the Nile, and so I'm going to turn the Nile to blood. You guys worship a god uh, of um, fertility who has a frog head, so I'm going to give you guys a bunch of frogs. You don't know what to do with them. This sign of blessing. You guys worship a, uh, a god of the earth, and so I'm going to turn the earth into biting gnats that are going to chew your flesh off. Like, okay? Like, I, whatever it is that you worship, that false god that you're giving authority, I'm going to do war against. But in, with the fourth plague, he begins to make a distinction. So, uh, when he gives fly, swarms and swarms of flies, it doesn't happen in the land of Goshen, which is where Israel is settled. When, when, he gives, when all of the Egyptian cattle become diseased, none of the Hebrew cows get sick. When there's a severe hailstorm that goes and kills all the first crops, it doesn't hail in the, land where Israel, in the section of the city where Israel is, is living. When there's a dust storm that blacks out the sun for three days, the land of Goshen has light. 
So throughout these plagues, there's, God has been making a point of like, these are my people. This isn't just some freak natural. Y'all aren't just having bad luck. There's something supernatural in that these are targeted attacks against Egypt, and I am protecting my people from them. But what changes here with Passover is that this, um, this distinction that he's preserved. So he said, these are my people, I'm going to set them apart. But with this plague, with the last plague, he says, this distinction is going to be participatory. Say that with me. Participatory. Great, you guys are getting the idea. Participatory. We're going to have to participate with it, right? We're going to do something. So up until this point, God has made the distinction, but he says, now I'm inviting you to participate with this. You get the lamb. You kill the lamb. You put the blood on your door. And that's a sign that I can pass over this. You're going to participate with me. And again, it's God's grace communicating ahead of time that this is going to happen. The plague is going to come. The angel of death is going to come through and he's going to kill all the firstborn. But God in his grace says it's coming. And you get to choose whether or not you mark your family out and put yourself under the protection of the blood of another. What's interesting to me is that it would stand out to me. If I'm, if I'm an Egyptian, and I'm walking around, and, there, and all these bad things are happening in my country, and I'm really frustrated with my key leader, we can't identify with any of those feelings that they might have, but we really think the key leader of our nation is, is making some wrong calls and that we are suffering for it. And I'm looking at the people that seem to have all the blessing and favor, and they wake up one morning, and they're smearing blood over their doorframe. I might go find a lamb. And I might cover over my door, too. I might not understand what I'm doing, but I might, like, try to get on their team, Okay? And what's fascinating is at the end of chapter 12 in, in verses, uh, where did I put it down on the page? In 1238, as Israel goes out of the land of Egypt, they go out as a mixed multitude. There were Israelites that, got, that, that packed up and they ran, and there were Egyptians who stayed, and I think there were Egyptians who went out with them who said, it is clear to me that, these, that the God that you are worshiping is Lord Almighty over all creation. And whatever little idol that I've been worshiping my whole life, that that guy is powerless at the feet of your God. And I don't know where we're going, and I don't know how to get there, but I'm going with you guys. Because this Pharaoh is, is not <laughs> leading us in the right way. Like, God's grace is that he's communicated ahead of time, and that everybody who covers their door has that distinction for their family. And there are Egyptians, too, that I think experience the salvation of God. Will we heed God's warning that death is on its way? I'm a young guy. I'm pretty, uh, pretty well able to pretend like I'm going to live forever. Some of us have aches and pains that remind us continually that life is temporary. <clears throat> death runs in the family if you live long enough you die will we heed God's warning that death is on the way and will we place ourselves under the blood of another 
Atonement, this, this idea of putting yourself under the blood of another one, is the idea, the Bible word for it is atonement. Okay? Now, atonement is a temporary covering. So, they are, at Passover, they're doing this one time, and then they're going to go out, and every year they're going to do it, but this time they're not doing it to, because there's an angel coming down the road to, to kill their firstborn son. The next year that they have Passover, they're under no threat of danger of dying. But they do, the same, they do the same ceremony to remember what God did. However, God's going to give this special people, he's going to give them instructions that they are going to have a day. Uh, one day out of the year, he gives instructions for it in Leviticus chapter 16, where one day out of the year, the high priest is going to go into the temple, or go into the tabernacle, into the holy tent where God lives, and he's going to make atonement, he's going to make covering for the whole nation every single year. This atonement was a temporary covering that they had to repeat. They're not repeating it on Passover anymore. They're repeating it on the Day of Atonement. The Hebrew words for those are, is, that, is, is, is Yom Kippur. You've probably heard the Jewish festival Yom Kippur. That's what they're doing. They're making atonement for the nation of Israel for the year. And they have to do it every year. There's a verse... At the end, or towards the end of the Bible, so if we're in 1500, so thousands of years later, we've got a book called Hebrews that's written, uh, you know, maybe 35, maybe 40 A.D., so after the birth of Jesus, we've got a book called Hebrews, and there's a verse in, in there in chapter 10 that I'll just read it for you. It says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, lambs, to take away sins. To take away sins. They can cover it for a minute, but they can't take it away. This is why, so let's jump out of the Bible for a minute. This is why we do spring cleaning. Because there are things that you sweep under the carpet all year long, and, and there are some times where you just need to pull, roll the carpet up and, and vacuum everything up and give it a good mopping and then lay the carpet, and then you need to, to shampoo the carpet and make sure everything's clean. Atonement is sweeping it under the carpet. It's covered. We can't see it. I don't, maybe I don't have to deal with it today, but it's covered. Okay? But it cannot, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So all that this sacrifice that God is, is, is giving them, all of this system that God's giving them, is just to cover things, not to deal with them. Because he knew he was sending one lamb, one firstborn, who would deal with these things once and for all. So I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, but we're going to look together at chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 on page 1249 in the Blue Bibles. Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 9. He's, he's making an argument, actually, for the tabernacle, and, and, and he's, he's talking specifically about the Day of Atonement. We've been talking about Passover, but Passover was setting up for the Day of Atonement. And as he's talking through, um, he says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulation for the body imposed until the time of regulation. Verse 11. 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, so the tabernacle tent, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through, etern- through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Jesus' blood is able to cleanse every sin. He says, he says, you guys have this picture of the Day of Atonement where a high priest comes in and he sprinkles the blood of a bull and he's atoning for the nations, the sin of the nations. He's covering them over for another year and next year. Like, we're going to walk out of the Day of Atonement having offered a lamb and, and sacrificed him um, to cover our sins. And we're going to walk out and we're going we're gonna to birth, like that week, we're going to birth the one for next year because it takes us a year to have a lamb, right? So this is a constant process. We are constantly in the, in, the, in the process of trying of raising up a lamb to atone for our sins. And here says all of that was a picture of Christ who as the high priest doesn't come and bring the blood of another thing to die. He pours his own blood on the altar. He, is not, he does not come bringing a sacrifice. He comes as the sacrifice. There never was a high priest in all of scripture who died for the people. The high priest was the one who would kill something else for the people. But Christ is different, Jesus is different, in that he lays his own life down. And he pours his own blood out. Jesus' blood is able to cleanse every sin. He purifies not just our flesh, not just like our feelings of guilt, not just the, 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 the things that are sticky about our lives, but he, he cleanses our consciences from dead works, from, from works that we try to do that actually don't accomplish what we want to do. Like, okay, God, if you will answer this prayer, if you will, if you will pay this bill, I'll go to church every Sunday and I'll pray every morning. Like, like God is, or Jesus' blood is cleansing our consciences from dead works. The things, and being cleansed from trying to earn God's favor, we are freed to serve him, the living God. Not just covered, not just swept under the rug, not just writing a get-out-of-jail-free pass, but paid for in full, cleansed, deeper than your carpet cleaner can go. Jesus' blood is able to cleanse every sin. We're still kind of in Jewish world, aren't we? We're still kind of in, in Israelite, like um, Jesus was a Jew, he came to Jews first, and so this is all in their world. So if I can, just real briefly, I'd like to show us for us. Let's set the table for us, because we're, we're not Jewish, okay? So Romans, Romans chapter 3. It's on page 1174, Romans chapter 3.
Romans is a, is a super fun letter. It is, one it is one long continuous string of thought, and we're jumping in the middle of, of an argument, okay? And so uh, that's, that's what's happening here. Um, but but, but uh, Paul is writing to this church who, uh, who believes in Jesus, but they maybe don't quite understand all of the implications of, of what things are. So he's writing to try to help them understand what is this relationship between the Jewish people, because God was doing something with them, um, and there was all this sacrifice and this day of atonement. I grew up Gentile, like we just worshiped Zeus, and so I don't know anything about that. How do I have access here? And so in verse 9 he says, what then? Are Jews any better off? Like are they, they're God's chosen people. Are they any better off? He says, no, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin, as it is written. So he's going to quote the Old Testament and give you a summary of what the Old Testament says about our standing before God. He says, no one is, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. They, they speak and spit like snakes. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, Jew and Gentile alike. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. It speaks to Jews so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable, uh, be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Whew. That's a lot. That's heavy. Okay? Verse 21. But now, dude, you've got to be so excited when God like drops the hammer and he's so heavy and you're like, Lord, how can I escape this? And then you get to the end of that passage and the very next word is a but now because I'm telling you Jesus is coming in. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, separate from Moses, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a, a substitution, a payment by His blood to be received by faith. This, all this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, his patience, he has passed over, he has swept under, he has atoned for former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus' blood is able to cleanse every sin and he invites us to be cleansed. It is not enough for your grandma to know who Jesus is and to walk with him. You cannot get to Christ on her coattails. You must bring the lamb into your house. You must inspect his life and see that he is perfect. And you must take the knife and slaughter him and pour his blood out and mark your doorpost of your life with his blood to say that something else, someone greater has died and don't take me this time. And we have confidence. We have confidence that when we come to Jesus 
and we come under his blood, when we submit our lives to him, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. It's separate from the law that when he, we come under his blood, because the high priest poured out his blood for, him, for the sacrifice of all the nations, that we're cleansed. Jesus' blood is able to cleanse every sin, and he invites us to be cleansed. Jew and Gentile all have the same need. Israelite and Egyptian all have the same need. Death is coming. And someone has died, and he holds his blood out to us as a gift, but we have to make the choice to cover ourselves in it. That's a real gross picture. But that's because we have not fully understood that sin leads to death. This gift is participatory. He's inviting you to apply it to your soul. Okay, I, I want to do that, and so let me give you a how. There's three, three simple steps that I think will make sense in the context of what, we're, of what we're talking about here. First, agree with God that sin leads to death. Agree with God. My sin has separated from you, me from you, and you are life, and so my sin has separated me from life, and so sin equals my. I agree with you, God, that my sin has separated from you. Agreeing with God, the church word for that is confession. Like, I just agree with you that the thing that you called sin is sin, and it's killing me. I agree with God that my sin is killing me. And step two, trust in Jesus. I don't know the mechanics of how it works. I don't understand all the blood symbology, and I don't know whether it's a, it's a spiritual thing or whether there's a biological component. I don't, know, I don't have to understand, but I trust that Jesus was able to cleanse every sin, and I'm trusting him to cleanse mine. Agree with God, trust in Jesus, and share his story. There's a couple of things we can't talk about at the Thanksgiving table. Politics and religion. And so we as Americans tend to think like our faith is, 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 is private. Your faith is personal. It belongs to you. But Jesus says, share my story. Use your mouth and tell people. I agree with God that sin is sin and it's killing me. And I trust Jesus. And he is making me clean. That's what we got to celebrate yesterday, isn't it? With the baptism. It's just people telling the, God's story of the work that they're doing in their life. So, so agree with God, trust in Jesus, and share his story. Use your mouth. Tell people about it. And elsewhere in Romans, he'll say, if you, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you shall be saved. So then, three more questions. What are we disagreeing with God about? What, what's, what's our hang-up? What what's keeping us from agreeing with God? 
where, what situation, where is our trust in Jesus wavering? It's crazy how I can believe that Jesus is able to to cleanse the whole world of all of their sin, but I don't trust that he can cleanse my sin. And I don't trust that he has forgiveness for the way that I lost my temper this week. Where is our trust in Jesus wavering? And how is our life telling his story? Jesus' blood is able to cleanse every sin, and he invites us to be cleansed. I invite you, too, to be cleansed. The only hope I have is Jesus. So we began this morning with reading a psalm, and I'd just like to close by reading the same psalm, and maybe, uh, maybe God will use it. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud to, go, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written to me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Jesus' blood is able to cleanse every sin, and he invites us to be cleansed. Let's pray. You know everything, oh God. <laughs> there's, no, um, there's no corner of creation that you did not intimately design. You fashioned our hearts, and you have watched heartbroken as we have turned to sin and allow it to choke us to death. So you know all the ways that we are corrupt, and yet, while we were enemies of you, you sent your Son. <laughs> Our heads can't wrap around it. Our hearts can feel the bigness of it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in these moments and do the work that only you can do, that you would shape our hearts to look like yours. For those of us who have walked with you for a long time, that we would be reminded that we come to you by your grace. And for those of us who are far from you or who have rejected you, those of us whose heart is, is dead as you see it, Lord, I pray that you'd come close to them, 
that you'd lead them, lead their heart to trust you, and that you would pour your spirit on them, that you'd bring their heart to life, that you would teach them to walk in your ways, and that you'd open their mouth that they could not stop proclaiming the good work that you have done, the work that you are doing, the work that you promise you're going to finish. I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And I just ask you to keep your eyes closed for a few more moments. If you're at a spot where um, you're familiar with religious tradition or all of this is brand new, uh, my suspicion is that one way or another, this was a challenging morning. And there's a sense in which we can know the right things and still be confused and befuddled by them. And so if God's moving in your heart this morning and you know that you're far from him, I just encourage you to talk with him. Say, God, I, I, I've lived with it for a long time, but I agree with you that this sin in my heart is killing me. And maybe I don't understand all the ways it works, but I look to Jesus and I trust him to make things right between you and me. And Lord, I ask that you would give me the faith to use my mouth to tell others of the work you're doing in my heart right now. It's in your name I pray. Amen.